You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, go ahead and keep your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6. It's so appropriate that all of our money, our coins, and our currency have the motto, In God We Trust. To understand why our coins have that phrase, that motto, you have to go all the way back to a Pennsylvania pastor who writes the Secretary of Treasury right about the time of the Civil War. Salmon P. Chase, the Secretary of Treasury, receives the encouragement to put a Christian motto on our currency, on our coins specifically. So it's Salmon P. Chase, the Secretary of Treasury, who then directs by a letter the directory of the men in Philadelphia with these words in a letter written in November 20th of 1861. Dear sir, no nation can be strong except in the strength of God or safe except in his defense. The trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. You will cause a device to be prepared with, with un, without an unnecessary delay with a motto expressing in the fewest and tersest words possible this national recognition. The first coin to have the phrase, in God we trust, was a two-cent coin in 1864. To understand why it is our national motto, why it's on our currency, you have to go to the 84th Congress under President Eisenhower when we adopted, in God we trust, as our national motto, and then on all of our currency in the 1950s. I thought about bringing a bill for you to show you in God we trust, but then I realized with three children I have no bills available. (laughs) I've given away all my money. But you know, it's so appropriate that our money has that phrase on there because every time I see it and really pay attention to it, it reminds me of the battle, the battle to truly trust God. See, the truth be told, and as silly as it sounds, most of the time, too many of the times, I trust me. And it's just a difficult challenge to really trust God in the area of finance. In fact, if I were to ask you to grade yourself, A for excellent, F for failure, where would you put your grade on how, you, how well you trust God? Now, I'm not going to ask you to advertise that, but you might just write that down someplace as you're taking notes. Today we're looking at the words of Jesus in the most famous sermon in all of history, what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, recorded beginning in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. And there in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse 25, as read a moment ago, Jesus directs us about anxiety. In fact, he mentions anxiety in these nine verses six times. Now if you mention something six times in nine verses, it's got to be important, right? And I guess I chose this passage as much for myself as anyone else. I am really good at anxiety. I'm really good at worry. Anybody else in the room pretty good with me? Well, I can can outrun you in this area, I'm afraid. Well, it's obvious that Jesus is warning against money, and we need it as Americans. We need it before 2020. We needed it before the pandemic. In fact, we spend billions of dollars every year to try to minimize and understand anxiety. Under two big headings, I want you to see how Jesus gives us Kevlar 
Kevlar to protect our brain. Look with me first. Jesus says, worry doesn't work. First, he says, worry doesn't work. Someone has compared worry and anxiety like rocking in a chair. There's a whole lot of activity. You just don't get anywhere. I like how Jesus does it right there in verse 25. Look what he says here. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus says, life is more than food. Life is more than what you're going to put on. Life is more than drink. In fact, all of Jesus says here is really connected to something he said just previous. And how do I know that? Because look at the very first word in verse 25. It's a little word called therefore. Whenever you're reading your Bible and you see the word therefore, stop and do not go forward until you see what the word therefore is therefore. And when we do that, we notice in verse 24 that Jesus' sort of chain of reasoning is here. He said, no one can serve. His prescription against worry says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus' words are just as true today as they were then. A University of California study at San Diego discovered as they looked at a dip, a precipitous dip in the stock market was followed by 48 hours, the next 48 hours, an increase in hospitalizations. That is, when the stock market went down, over the next 48 hours, hospitalizations went up. And they did not find that to be a happenstance, a random thing. They found a correlation. The people were just that concerned about the money in the stock market that anxiety about money really connected. In fact, in a creative study, both in India and in New Jersey, run by a Princeton professor, they found that when you brought an experiment, when you asked people, shoppers, to do an experiment, but just before you gave them the puzzle, you reminded them of their financial constraints, well, they didn't do that well in the puzzle as they would had you not reminded them. In fact, the Princeton professor said, quote, financial constraints capture a lot of attention, end quote. And all God's people said, well, duh. <laughs> In fact, he went on. He said, there's less bandwidth left to solve problems, and your cognitive ability starts to slow down just like a computer. I like how Jesus puts it in verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Worry doesn't work, and yet we are addicted to worry. We stress about the next assignment that's due. We stress about the mortgage payment. We stress about rent and how to make the car payment. We stress about how our career is progressing. We are anxious about the next generation, how they're flourishing in school. Three times, you heard it read a moment ago, three times Jesus commands us, do not be anxious. The first of which you'll find in verse 25, do not be anxious about what you will eat and what you will drink. Do not be anxious about what you will wear. And the third time in verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Jesus, when he says something three times, I figure it's got to be important, wouldn't you? I'm not that smart, but it's got to be important. In fact, as we move back to it, anxiety about money is a big deal. You see, when you have anxiety about money, it can lead to hoarding. When you have 
anxiety about money, it leads to a thing called coveting or covetousness. That's an over-desiring of something. What does that mean? If you have anxiety about money, then it could lead to not only hoarding and stealing, but taking other people's possession and not sharing the possessions that you need. Well, what does Jesus say we're to do about this? It's one thing to say worry doesn't work. What's his prescription? Well, you'll find in verse 26, and it really, he could be accused of oversimplification. Notice what he says. He says we're to be bird watchers. Yes, bird watchers. In verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, as we analyze verse 26, and I invite you to keep your Bible open before you, the very first word there, the word look, would you, pun intended, look at the word look? Because what you need to know is among the choices of words that Jesus could have chosen there, and it was as translated from likely Aramaic into Greek, the word look in verse 26 is not a simple glance, it is a gaze. In fact, that word is used elsewhere in the Gospels to describe a blind man who is miraculously healed. He can see because of the touch of Jesus, the words spoken of Jesus. And what's the word for when the blind man takes his first look? It's this word. You know, if I were blind for several decades and then could finally see, I have a feeling that my look is going to be a doozy. And that's exactly what he's calling us. He said, don't glance at the birds. He says, stare, observe, gaze. And what I want you to see, he says, these birds, they neither toil nor spin. Now, birds in the Bible are a big deal. I've studied the Bible for decades and did not realize how big a deal birds are in the pages of Scripture. We notice the first entry into the pages of Scripture all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 20, where simply God said, let the birds of the heavens fly in the expanse of the heavens. And then we notice that it's a raven that's first released by Noah in order to locate land. And it's a raven that feeds the prophet Elijah. As we think about birds, we think about it's the Holy Spirit that descends on Jesus, if you remember, at this baptism. And it's said to remind the onlookers of a dove that's descending. Yes, birds are a big deal. In fact, perhaps one of the biggest bird stories in your Bible is on the night of Jesus' crucifixion. It's there that a rooster crows and reminds Peter of Jesus' prediction that he will deny Jesus. Not only are birds a big, big deal in your Bible, but they're a big deal in the world. Now, I'm not a bird watcher, but I learned over the last several weeks there are 10,000 species of birds spread over the seven continents. And I found some really unique different birds that God made. The smallest of birds is the bee hummingbird, coming in at 2.25 inches in length. It weighs like a boxer, you know, like coming in, weighing in this corner, 0.056 ounces. Huh? I have a feeling if you and I saw the bee hummingbird, we would think it's an insect, not a bird. On the opposite end is the wandering albatross. My wingspan's in the neighborhood of six feet. A wandering albatross has a wingspan of about 12 feet. Talk about an awkward bird. But the one I like the most is the Arctic tern. The Arctic tern will breed in northern Alaska and Siberia, among other places. Comes in at four ounces, and every year the Arctic tern makes a migration of 22,000 miles. Yes, 
22,000 miles. God must have loved diversity when he made the heavens and the earth and the birds. Birds are a big deal. And Jesus says, if you've got constant anxiety, you've got constant worry, here's what the Savior of the world, the creator of the world says, look at the birds of the heavens. Now, what you need to know about birds is they do not have mutual funds. They do not have checking accounts. And they do not have a career path. In fact, down through the years, the people who've taken Jesus' word seriously, there's typically three misconceptions regarding this. The first misconception comes from a translation that's several hundred years old. It says, take no thought of tomorrow. It's a bad translation. A better one is do not be anxious. Because the idea of not taking thought of tomorrow means that we shouldn't plan And Jesus is a planner. In fact, he would say in the Gospel of Luke chapter 14, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down, count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. When you're to look at the birds of the year, you are to be a planner. You are to look into the future as best of your ability and do some planning. In fact, the Bible teaches not about birds, but about an ant in Proverbs chapter 6. Look at the ant who puts back in the summer for when the time of the winter. And the acorn woodpecker does the very same thing. He'll put acorns back in telephone poles and in trees with holes for a future day when the acorn woodpecker may not have anything to eat. No, the Bible isn't against planning. The Bible is against worry. I need to stop here and tell you two things. The passage I'm speaking on today was a life-changing passage for me. More on that some other time, but it changed my life in South Fort Worth right around the time of 1999. But the second thing is, over the 25 years of marriage, I've I've done a lot of stupid things with the little bit of money that we've had. And I've learned that if I have a plan for money, I have more peace. And if I don't have a plan, I have less peace. Dave Ramsey helped me. Financial Peace University is something that we're pushing this semester. And if you haven't picked up on it, we've got an economic slowdown, and you need a plan. You need a plan for how to handle your finances. You may be at a place today where you need assistance from someone, and our church is among those who are assisting in food, and we'd love to do that. But God wants you to have a plan And one of the things that really helped my marriage, one of the things that really helped my life was Dave Ramsey and watching and listening with a group of people out in West Texas. It changed the way Tracy and I do finances. We're not perfect. We still do stupid. We do stupid really well. But we do stupid less because of this plan. You need to be a part of this, and we encourage you to do that. Jesus is not against planning. He is against worry. The second lesson, the second misconception, is Jesus doesn't mean you're not going to have accidents. Someone has thought, others have thought, that just because he said, look at the birds of the air, that he must protect us at all times. We can be evil Knievel, if you remember who that was, and he'll just protect us. Well, just several chapters later in Matthew chapter 10, he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Accidents do happen. Sparrows do fall. But they fall with the father's permission. 
Accidents happen with the Father's permission. If someone is asking, Pastor, why does God give permission for accidents and for us to fall? That's another sermon for another day. You don't think I can solve everything in 20 to 30 minutes, do you? I mean, come on. Get real for a minute. Accidents are going to happen. Here's the third misconception. When Jesus says in verse 26 that worry doesn't work and you look at the birds of the air, someone has thought it must be a lesson in laziness. God does not feed the birds of the air like you feed Fido the dog and whatever you name your cat. How do you feed your dog? Likely you're going to feed your dog and not say, hey, go in the backyard and see if you can find a possum or some skunk or something. You're going to put a dish in front of Fido probably in the morning. And then my guess is you're going to come back in the evening and put another dish in front of Fido. Feed the dog. That's how you feed the dog. The dog, Fido, does not go hunt for his food or the cat for her food. And, but that's not how God feeds birds, is it? Birds go find seeds and berries. They suck nectar. They're going to go find a worm. Jesus feeds, the Father feeds birds indirectly. This is not a lesson in laziness. Let's be reminded of what Paul said to Timothy. If anyone does not pride for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, then he has denied the faith and, he, faith and he is worse than an unbeliever. If you're able, God is calling you and I to go to work. Jesus says, look at the birds if you're worried. So if it's not about accidents, it's not about not working, what is Jesus' big point? And you'll locate it in verse 26, and it's profound. He says these words at the very end, are you not of more value? than they. You know, in this time of increased anxiety, the Christian has a resource, a unique resource that many own, that many don't have access to. There's a poise to a Christian, and what is that? We have this heavenly Father who cares for us, who really cares for us. That's what Jesus is teaching. He's saying if God so feeds the birds of the year. He doesn't value a bird like he does one of his children. He's telling us worry doesn't work. By the way, all that I'm saying applies to those who are in Christ, who've chosen to make a decision to follow Christ. If you don't make a decision to follow Christ, if you go with a default from birth, you're not going to like your destination for eternity. You must make a decision to choose to follow Christ. These promises are to those who are in Christ, who've trusted in the Christ of the cross for the forgiveness of sins. He says to you, worry doesn't work. In fact, I love again what he says in verse 27. Which of you by worrying can add a span of an hour to your life? No one by worry has grown an inch. No one by worry has added another year to their longevity. Most of us are addicted to worry, and yet worry doesn't work. The second thing Jesus says in this, not only does worry doesn't work, but worry doesn't worship. If you're a constant worrier, if you're constantly set on the dial of anxiety, and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, essentially what you're saying to him is, I don't think you have my best interest in mind. 
I don't think, God, you have my best interest in mind. In fact, Jesus says it this way. Look in verse 32. He said, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Do you see what he's doing here? He's comparing the life of a believer to a non-believer. Gentiles, in verse 32, is code for one who does not believe. And he said, if your life is constantly set on anxiety, you're one of those who's functionally saying to God, I don't think you have my best interest in mind. Linda's fallen on hard times during COVID-19. Because of the pandemic, she first lost her job. Then her boyfriend of three plus years said, I'm leaving you. She found out for another woman. On top of that, her mother fell, broke her hip, was in a nursing home. Now, Linda and her mother can't see one another face to face due to the restrictions in the actually rehab center. Then come, coupled with all that, her father is ailing, and it was her mother caring for her father. Now, Linda has to step up and care for the ailing father while looking for a job and struggling to pay rent. And by the way, the brother is really no help at all, she says. No wonder, Linda said, it's one thing after another. My boyfriend left me. My parents are sick. I don't know what I'm going to do to pay next month's rent. It's just too much. You know, I like what one pastor, he compared anxiety to always hearing the Jaws theme. Can you hear it? It's like all of life, you're looking around and you see a dorsal fin circling around you. You're not sure, but you just know that there are problems coming down the road. So what does Jesus say to do? Look again, back in verse 28. He says, and why are you anxious for clothing? Now started calling us to be bird watchers. He says, consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin, for I tell you, even Solomon, all of his glory, is not arrayed or clothed like one of these. Now, why does he pick Solomon out? Because Solomon is the Jeff Bezos of Israel. Solomon is the Bill Gates of Hebrew history. He's the zenith. He's the apex of all wealth. And he compares Solomon to lilies in the field. Notice Jesus did not say, consider the roses at the florist. I didn't realize this. I have trouble picking a daisy from a rose. That's just who I am. But there are 100 roses that are wildflowers, and there are 20,000 variations of hybrid of roses. Meaning the rose that you give your wife the next time you're in trouble is likely engineered. It's likely man-made. Jesus did not say, if you're worried, look at a man-made engineered rose at a florist. No, 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 he did not say that. He went much less than that. He said, consider the lilies of the field, which are here today and gone tomorrow. These are God's trash. God clothes the trash better than the greatest example of wealth in Hebrew history. He said, why are you worried about this? What's Jesus' big point? It's the same one he made about the birds of the year. It's in verse 30, will he not much more clothe you? The truth is, he really cares for you. He really is involved in your daily activity. Jesus' big point is that he loves you so much he wants to be in the minutiae of your life.
Have you noticed that worry and anxiety are really an equal opportunity offender? No matter who you are. If you're really smart, well, you're worried because you know too much. And if you're ignorant, you're worried because you know too little. If you're rich, you're worried because you're afraid you're going to lose everything. And if you're poor, you're worried because you don't have anything. If you're old, you're worried because you're facing death. And if you're young, you're worried because you're facing an uncertain future. We are all addicted to worry. And Jesus says not only does worship, worry doesn't work, it doesn't worship. Worry and constant anxiety is a drumbeat. It's the Jaws theme, and it's constantly saying to God, I don't think you have my best interest in mind. Or it's saying to God, I've got this. I don't need your help. Which are truly crazy words to come out. Pastor, somebody's saying, Pastor, I don't know why you're bothering with this. I can't help but worry. I can't help to be anxious. My mind just defaults to anxiety. My mind just defaults to worry. I'm glad you brought that up. That's a great objection. Thank you for bringing that up. That's fantastic. Really? Really you want to go there? In these nine verses, starting in verses 25 through 34, Jesus issues six imperatives, six commands. Six times. It's as if Jesus is saying, thou shalt not murder. Look at him with me, beginning in verse 25, do not be anxious about your life. And then in verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the ear. And then in verse 28, consider the lilies of the field. The fourth command in verse 31, again, he says, do not be anxious. The fifth command is seek the kingdom of God. And lastly, in verse 34, he says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Six imperatives, six commands. If you're telling me that you cannot control worry, then what is the all-knowing Jesus doing issuing a command to your mind six times that you cannot do anything about? Maybe Jesus made a mistake. Do you want to go there? If that's where you go, you know, you're like a Star Trek person, boldly going where no one should go or all that thing that says. The all-knowing Jesus says, you do have control of your mind. Well, I love how he concludes all this. In verse 34, this would deserve its own message. And the good news today, it's not going to get its own message. He says, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Someone has said that worry is interest paid on borrowed trouble. You may be saying today, like the woman said to the pastor, Pastor, it's no use telling me not to worry. I just can't help myself. And she said, essentially, many of the things I worry about never happen. Okay, I'll let you have that. Calvin Coolidge said, the former president, if you have 10 things that you're worried about, nine on the way coming to you will find themselves in the ditch. Worry is interest paid on tomorrow's troubles, and I've got enough troubles not to borrow any. You know, when you think about it, it's a lot like the Ford manufacturer making pickup trucks. Now, you may be a Chevy guy or Toyota guy, but Ford makes it really easy to understand their pickup trucks. There's the 150, the 250, and the 350. You keep your King Ranch and all the following, just the 150, 250, and 350. 
And if I understand them in their simplicity, there's the one ton, the two ton, I think there's a three ton, or maybe there's a one and a half ton. The manufacturers in Detroit, Michigan understand that if you buy a one ton pickup truck, they're telling you don't put up one and a half tons on the back end of that. You're overloading it. The manufacturer, Ford, knows their trucks. Now, if the good people in Detroit can figure out how much their trucks can bear, don't you think your manufacturer knows your specifications? You need to trust your manufacturer. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.